and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. Tatiana Oliveira Simonian is joining me today on the podcast. She is a veteran marketer, maker, and musician. She's a former Amazon Music, Twitter, Tumblr, and Disney executive with a passion for growing great teams and making cool things. She is also an executive coach and part of the famed business leadership expert Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches program. Tatiana, I had the privilege of hearing you speak last week, and I'm so fascinated by your story. I was hoping you could share a little bit about yourself and your personal journey. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Where do I begin, Sherry? Um, yeah, I'm from Southern California, uh, daughter of a Brazilian immigrant and an Armenian refugee. and you know, grew up between Montebello and Whittier, very Latino communities. Um, pretty untraditional um, business career background. I, it took me 11 years to get my bachelor's degree. And I had many different starts with my career because I was pursuing a music career. And then I was a music journalist and a journalist in general for many years. And around the late 90s, I got really into social media and hacking MySpace like everyone and their mom, which wound up evolving into a tech career. And, and since then, I've worked for Disney, for Twitter, for Tumblr, for Amazon, for Nielsen, and consulted for a bunch of folks. And so now I'm, I'm still a musician, but I'm what I call a day job marketer and marketing chief. And, and so, yeah, and I'm starting a role as a CMO at a um, series B startup that I'm a big fan of. So I'm excited to get to lead an organization once again, and still do speaking on the side and still do some exec coaching. That's awesome. You've, you've shared a little bit in your past about some of the groups you've worked with, and it's just, it's fascinating to me. And I think it kind of leads into what I wanted to talk to you about today around mental health. You know, you are a huge advocate for mental health. You know, I don't know if those listening follow you, uh, but you recently did an Instagram story on the exact topic. Uh, you did a, a little shout out for Ted Lasso, which I think is great. Has your approach to managing mental health changed at all during the pandemic? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, I think for a lot of people, because I, I, a lot of stuff that I thought was specific to me, I would have clients going through the same thing. And I was like, oh, it's not specific to me. I think a lot of people had existential crises during the pandemic. Um, on a low level, it could be as simple as where do I want to work, home or the office? Um, on a high level, it's do I want to do this line of work anymore? Or where do I want to live? Like, why haven't I made these big choices? You know, I was telling someone yesterday, actually my new boss, I was telling him about the good that came out of the pandemic because it's so easy to think of the bad because there's, there's so many stories and people are so divided, but there's so many good things that came out of the pandemic, really. It's like, I bet more people have savings accounts now. I, you know, more people are quitting jobs and going back to school or choosing jobs they really want. Um, it's kind of like a forcing function that really makes you look at your life. For myself, I sort of realized that 
you know, I was at Amazon during the pandemic. So there was no days off for me that, you know, as a senior executive there, it was just around the clock work. And it, it just made me realize that I didn't want my ego or my identity to just be associated with where I worked anymore. Even if it was the most powerful company in the world, like my salary did not take a hit because of the pandemic. It went up, you know, and I was miserable. Um, and so it made me realize that there had to be a different life out there and that I, I could revisit what work-life balance really is. I don't think America's great at it at all, <laughs> at all. Um, we, we glamorize hustle and grind culture. Um, so it's an imperfect science, but it's made me definitely become more thoughtful and mindful about what my identity is. It's so true. The like hustle and grind culture, I can't tell you how many conversations we've had about like, how can we increase discretionary effort? And while that's, there is a positive to that, if you're only focused on that, you're completely missing that balance that you talked about and really leaning in more to that. I've heard this new, I don't even know if it's a new term or if it's a term that's coming back, but instead of work-life balance or work-life integration, work-life sway. And it's like you're swaying between these moments in your day and in your life. And that really resonated with me as to where we're at right now is like, if you can find the right sway for you, you're going to be better off mentally. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, the book flow by psychologist, Mihai Chikchank Mihai, um, really talks about how the optimal state of being is when we are in a state of flow. And so for some people, they get in flow when they're washing dishes or when they're baking, or like if you're working on a project for work that is the right level of challenge, you will feel a sense of flow. And so I think it's really about crafting your life in a way where you can find that flow. And, and a lot of that, another book I recommend is Effortless by Greg McKeown. A lot of that is about working smarter and not harder. It's interesting to me how I'm doing so much less in certain areas or relinquishing control in certain areas and things are going so much better than when I was trying to like force things to go my way. It's like the pandemic just forced me to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. YOLO. Let's see. You know? So I think that that's, that is fundamental to, to increase happiness is like, you know, the sense of both effortless flow, you know? You've spent so much time in your in your life in kind of the social media digital space. And I'm always I'm always fascinated by like Instagram profiles and then real life, right? What we put mm -hmm. out there. How have you found success in that space and really creating good digital balance or digital boundaries for yourself? Yeah. I mean, my Instagram is a pretty good accurate representation of myself. Um I've never been one to make it super perfect at all. Like lately I turned off the comments on my IG stories because I was like, I, it's about my expression. It's not about a bunch of DMs. I know when I put pictures up of me traveling, I'm going to get, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? I don't feel like telling you, like, I just wanted to share this picture of the mountain, you know, um, which is a way we draw boundaries, you know, um, I'm reading that book on boundaries by Nedra Tawab Glover now. I, I post things not for engagement, but for expression. So I know if I put a picture of my face, it'll get more likes than anything else I do. That's why influencers do it. Um, I don't do it. I don't feel like it, you know? Like I, I just, ever since they changed the most recent algorithm, my engagement has totally tanked. And I'm sort of just like, all right. I wipe posts on Twitter a lot. I wipe posts on 
Instagram a lot. Um, I try to keep my social presence as honest as possible. You know, I have a lot of friends who humble brag because they want you to remember they were important once. My favorite is when people go to weddings, but they post no pictures of the bride and groom. They just post pictures of themselves. I'm just like, that's, that's like peak American narcissism to me. It's just like, it was so funny to me after our wedding to see all these people with pictures of other people. And I'm like, cool, but it was my day. So I just try to like, I give myself permission to change my mind a lot. I do a bunch of videos and then I might like archive them all two months later. I don't care. It's just about doing what feels right for me. On my iPhone, I put a limit so I can't use Instagram over a certain amount of time a day or my iPhone like locks it. I had it set for an hour. Now I want to reduce it to 30 minutes because I think I could be even like less. But I think it's, you know, I definitely think that social media moderation for ourselves is, is, a, is a, not a one size fits all. I also would say it's really common in American culture for, for people to put all the blame on all the social media companies, but take no responsibility for themselves. You're the one using that app. You're the one posting on that app. You're the one trolling people. You're the one complaining about it. You are responsible for you. Your problem is not Mark Zuckerberg. Your problem is you. You can just not use this app if you would like. And if you want an app where everyone agrees with you, this is another big thing. Like I had someone arguing with me who I went to college with and I was just like, what you're advocating for is fascism. Like you're saying, if I don't agree with your point of view that I need to change. And I'm like, that's not freedom. That's actually fascism. Like what you're calling freedom is fascism. You know, it was about vaccines or something. And I said, well, you're actually not being given a mandate. You're being given a choice. You can choose to test or you can choose to get the vaccine. That's actually not a mandate. You know, a mandate's like you're in the military, you gotta do this. Or you're born, they don't say, do you want a TB test or a TB vaccine? <laughs> it's a mandate, right? We don't have mandates right now. We have a choice. You know, and to me, like I always play middle of the road with these kind of things. Yeah. And I'm very loving in, in my engagements with people who I disagree with. I'll just be like, cool, I agree to disagree with you. I like your your comment about agree to disagree. You know, during the last election, I, I had posted a picture of myself in a hat supporting the candidate that I was really proud to support on social media. And my cousin posted the opposite candidate hat on on my feed. And it was interesting because my response to that was like, good for you. I'm glad that you are supporting the candidate you want and that you've made a decision. And like, that's awesome. And I was surprised at all of the comments I got, you know, kind of on the side of text message, like, how can you support that? How can you be okay with that? And it's like, that is freedom of speech. And that is, you know, something I value. And I think that's important. So I really like you bringing that up because I think you're right. We, we use social media to divide ourselves. How does that translate is you're supporting companies who are trying to create, you know, robust social media and engagement. How do you find that balance in that work as well as, you know, personal engagement? So in the world of tech, we call the big, the biggest tech companies are called fang companies. So Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google are considered fangs. Um, Twitter could also be argued to be a, to, to be a fang company. And so I've worked for two of those companies. And um, one of the ways I have personally chose to handle my career moving forward is I will no longer work for fang companies. Um, I just believe that in highly matrixed organizations that are really bloated, like in Amazon, um, you are very unlikely to see radical change, whether it's DEI or whether it's on a product level, unless they are 
sued <laughs> or dismantled, to be totally honest. Um, I was extremely frustrated at Amazon with our rate of change. And to be honest, some of it's not them. It's just like this company is massive. And so even like, it's like trying to turn a tanker on the freeway. It's like a, a snappy little Mustang can, can make a quick change. But like, if you're driving a giant tanker, it's going to, it's going to take five lanes and, and maybe 20 minutes to make that same turn. Right. And I'm someone who likes quick change. So where I, where, where I sort of netted out was change is really being a change agent is really important to me in my career. Um, and I think if you value change and, and creating lasting change, um, you either have to create your own company or you have to find a company small enough where you can impact business. So I'm going to a company where we have about 200 employees. So it's big enough to have a structure. Um, I will be in the C-suite, so I'll be a decision maker, but it's also a company where um, I'm able to impact change and see that change happen really quickly. Um, if I wanted to go to a Facebook or if I wanted to go to an Apple or an Amazon, I could make a lot more money and get a lot more stock and have a lot more job security. But I know I would be sacrificing my ability to drive change. And that is something that does not work for me. And everyone's motivations are different. Some people are like, hey, I'd rather have a paycheck. I'm cool with slow change. Um, my motivations are like, I need to be able to create change. I'm a motivator. Um, so getting really clear on motivation to me makes it easier for me to make job decisions that other people might find weird because a lot of people are like, oh, I want people to know I work for Clubhouse or Facebook or whatever, because they need that sense of like, it's like being famous. Like, I want you to know I want a Grammy or an Emmy or an Oscar. But if I'm chasing those things to make me feel better, that's actually insecurity. And so it's much more powerful to be like, I as Tatiana don't need awards or big titles. What I need is the ability to be creative, the ability to be, to have enough power to impact change, um, to be supported. Those are the things I need. And that, that may or may not come in one of those larger companies, generally not. Um, so that to me has been a huge part of my career shift and really liberating. It seems like knowing those things about yourself has impacted how you think about protecting your mental health. And, and I think for those listening that should, you know, if you can lean into those motivators that work for you, then you can find that sweet spot. Um, how have, how have you avoided burnout? I, you know, I'm so curious, you know, seeing your work Law. and seeing everything you've done. I, I just, I can't imagine some of the pressure you might have. So, you know, do you have tips that, that have worked for you? I mean, I've burned out. You know what I mean? I think that's the first thing. It's it's sort of like telling a parent, um, you know, how do you have great work-life balance? Like generally they don't. It's like you're either a great mom or a great executive and you normally can't be both. Um, same with dads. Um, what I've learned over a 15, 20 year career of having burned out a lot of times is that I generally need that vacation before I think I do. I generally need that massage before I think I do. If I think I shouldn't take the sick day, I need to take the sick day. Work has never stopped because I took a vacation. Um, as important as I think I am 
my team has never um, fallen apart because I was out. I would like to think I am, but it's it's narcissistic again to feel like the entire organization holds its hell on me. No, it's like everyone's replaceable. So it, it's also like for a manager, you're empowering your team to learn to fend for themselves when you take time off for yourself. And everyone knows what that looks like for themselves. Like, for example, I, this is weird, but I like doing some Saturday morning work. And the reason for that is nobody bugs me. There's no slack. There's no emails, there's no calls. So if I have to do some paperwork or get a deck done, two or three hours on a Saturday will enable me to go into Monday feeling better. Um, but that's just me personally. There are other people that are like, hey, Saturday are my kids' games and I will never sacrifice that. But everyone has to know what their priority is. I think everyone right now is in burnout existentially. Like there's been so many waves of COVID. There has been so many rifts between family members, between friends, between employers, employees, that I think that in general, a lot of us need a lot more therapy, a lot more exercise, just the things that help you reset balance. Um, and a vacation does not have to be a trip to Hawaii. It can literally be like, could you go on a really nice three-hour hike somewhere with bad cell service where you are? My husband and I do these things called marriage hikes where we will go on a three or four-hour hike. And we do that because like you can't be texting on your phone while hiking. It's really hard. You're like worried about eating it and there's like weird bugs, and whatever. And so we do these hikes with bad reception generally once a week where it forces us to have a conversation for three or four hours. I love that idea. I have a cousin-in-law who does um, I'm going to butcher the name. I think she calls them get lost weekends and same thing with her husband and they just pick a place and they go explore and they get lost for the weekend. Um, I, I love that example. I think there's so many tips like that where we need to step away, but we get stuck in like, Hey, I need to go on this big, long vacation. I need to sit on a beach. And maybe that's not the reality. Maybe you have an opportunity to disconnect in a different way. You know, when you have had those moments where you've, failed to take care of your mental health how have you climbed out of that and found balance again um I think for I think a, a big thing for me usually revolves around asking for help which I think a lot of us have shame about my approach to a lot of things is very masculine it's very like I'll figure it out I'll do it myself I don't need to share my feelings you know I don't know if that's because I'm eastern European on one half or what but um but one of the things I've recognized in myself is that generally, you know, when I ask for help or when I share my emotions with someone I trust, whether it's a friend or a therapist or a mentor or something, there's usually some response on the other side, like, oh, that's happened to me too. You know, um, that, that was why I quoted, you, you mentioned Ted Lasso. That was why I mentioned the Ted Lasso episode of where Ted Lasso great show where he owns up to having had a panic attack and and that's like opening the narrative around men talking about their emotions like my therapist rachel who has a great podcast called the healing feeling show no joke um everyone started episode one but she talks about how like in america especially anger is one of the only emotions that have been rationalized for men um and, and i think it's not just gender specific i think there's a lot of us that have basically been taught like get your weak if you cry 
or if you admit you're sad. I remember after my mom died, I was just like in such the dumps. And I had a mentor say to me, honey, like grief is an appropriate response to sadness. Like that's, this is normal. And I was just like, oh, cause I'm like shopping at Trader Joe's and all of a sudden I want to cry in the orange aisle and I don't know why. And it's like, oh, duh. Like, so we are so disconnected from our bodies. You know, my therapist talks about the fact that if you go to the bathroom every day, that's how often you should be feeling your feelings. It's, it's like we hold our feelings so tightly inside and we're like, I'm going to fix the deck or I'm going to go buy a lasagna or I'm going to get a new Gucci bag or we're going to get a new, you know, UHD 80 inch TV and like, cool, but you're still going to be like sad about your mom's death or you still might feel a sense of shame because you didn't get that promotion. And, and what happens is if you run into that fear instead of trying to drown it it loses its power over you. So if you allow yourself to feel the sadness of like, I didn't get that, that made me feel so horrible. I'm not good enough. And you cry it out. And then when you're done, you have a little reality test moment where you're like, actually, I am pretty bad. Like maybe that job wasn't for me or maybe that boss is an idiot. You kind of come out the other side with a different you know, point of view and, and a really great tool my my therapist taught me was don't ask why do I feel like this ask how do I feel so if you're driving and you're catching feels whether it's anger or sadness or whatever don't say why am I feeling like this because you'll be like oh it's on hormones or oh it you'll you'll explain it away say how do I feel you know I'm really disappointed because and sometimes it's stupid things but that's okay you know I could be like I could not, this is so dumb, but I'll say it out loud. I could not watch the Dodgers Giants game yesterday. And I'm like a super Dodgers fan. And it's because my anxiety gets so bananas during these like sudden death games that I'm like, I will literally like troll some Giants fans. I know so hard if I, if I watch this game, like my anxiety is going to be too lit. So my husband will just like give me updates as things look better. And uh, I'm not like that on all games, but what I don't do is say to myself, it's so stupid you're like that. You should just be able to watch the game. Instead, I go, I'm going through a period of a lot of change. My anxiety is up right now. It makes something as simple as a baseball game particularly tough for me to digest. Instead, I'm gonna go talk to a friend and eat some food, and then I'll catch up on the last 15 minutes of the game because no one cares how I watch a video, a, a baseball game except for me, literally nobody. And that's just a little way I support myself. What a great example. And, and I appreciate you modeling kind of your self-talk as you went through that. I think that's so good to have those examples of, yeah, it's okay to feel the way I'm feeling. H how am I feeling? And being able mm -hmm. to identify that emotion. Because like you said, you were able to like get ahead of it a little bit. Like you knew you were going to have the anxiety. You prepared for it. But you needed to go back and have those conversations going on to be able to get there. So um, your journey and your story is fascinating. I'm definitely going to stay tuned in to see what comes next for you. So thanks for taking some time to talk with me today. Yes, thanks so much. And I will end with one of my favorite mantras, which is, Nobody thinks about you as much as you do. Let yourself have your feelings. Let yourself have your journey because I guarantee you no one is thinking about you as much as you are. 
This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.